I, I think that should be the start of the episode. <laughs> See, Jim's a natural. Scat, scat man, Jim. <laughs> Welcome to everyone back to uh, Pen Pen Pals podcast, uh, a neon gen explosion experience. My name's Alex. I'm Ben, and we're here with a special guest, Jim. Hello, I'm Jim. The sultry sounds of uh, where are you? Uh, uh, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, right? I'm in New Hampshire. So, ha- have you been in New York? Is this like a COVID move or? This is a COVID-related move. My daughter was due to be born in early May. And when we chose to come up here, at that time, the New York hospital use peak was forecast for the same week that Sylvia was due. So we chose to avoid the risk of exposing Liz and Sylvia at the hospital. Smart choice and go to a different hospital system that like wasn't gonna be, or you wouldn't be taking up their resources that could be going to COVID patients too, right? Exactly, yeah. So we figured that if we could safely leave and take the stress of another delivery off New York uh, and avoid a peak in another place, like get there before the peak in New Hampshire, and it actually worked out. We were after the peak in New York City and we were before the peak in Plymouth, New Hampshire. Yeah, we won the lottery. How is that house treating you? Is your is your son going crazy or is he super happy because he just has you and mom around all the time? My son is not going crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm going crazy. Yeah? I'm losing my mind. <laughs> yeah. It's not the worst experience because my son is having the time of his life. And we do the same exact thing every day. He wakes up between 6.30 and 7. We have breakfast, which for him is usually at least two bananas. We play outside on a balance bike for hours. Then we come in, we have lunch, he falls asleep. He insists on falling asleep on top of me. So part of nap time for me is like wiggling out from under him. (laughs) And sometimes he'll wake up and be like, no, no, no. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. So how, how old is he? He's two and a bit. He turned two in May. And the baby girl is almost three months. And her name is, remind me, Sylvia? Sylvia. 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 Beautiful name. Very cool. Uh, So overall, other than being at your son's beck and call, you've been at at least had a relatively calm, uh, or at least an activities uh, time with COVID. Yeah. It's all... It's all really chill. We're on a lake, which is kind of the best. Like out my window here right now, it's all trees and sunshine and waves. It's like the picture of relaxation. Good place, good place to lose your mind. It's kind of great. Uh, have you had any time for any creative projects while you're up there? I started writing some new musical material. I've just started sketching in the production phase, but I only get maybe 15 minutes at a time tops so when you say sketching is that's like a phase of making music Mm -hmm. so that's i've got the idea in the old brain pan and i'm not worried about the mixing or the producing getting the sounds right it's like just put the notes in the computer Mm -hmm. don't worry about fine-tuning the performance don't record a mini performance just like click on fl studio until the notes are in 
<laughs> that's pretty pretty repetitive and pretty mindless. So I have three of 17 planned tracks in that stage and zero in any further stage. But do, do you have 14 more in the brain pan? Yeah, I have the whole album in the brain pan. It's been in the brain pan for multiple years. Yeah. Of, <laughs> I had grad school and no time to make music. And then I had kids and no time to make music. You always have been a planner. I'm a planner. Mm-hmm. Plans are fun to make, and then stuff is hard to make. <laughs> yeah, that's true. All right. What's the Peapod pee pee update? Oh, uh, harvested some beets, uh, carrots, which are tiny but totally edible, and the early girl, like the actual big-sized tomato, the first of those should be ready to harvest maybe by next week. I don't know. But uh, super excited about the beets. Learn that beets are okay, but beet greens are awesome because they don't taste as strongly of that beet taste. And they're just like spinach or lettuce. It's fantastic. How about the PP Pals podcast pod update? <laughs> Slow progress and a potential roadblock, which is that the city government is like telling people that they're legally not allowed to talk to me, which I don't think is true. Um, (laughs) So they say that there's still like a gag order in place on this case that looking into, but I think that they're just like mistaken or they're being sketchy and trying to like interfere with stuff. But this kind of like came out on Thursday and then like the relevant people weren't in the office on Friday when I called. So hopefully we'll figure it out Monday and I'll have another update. So when you said that, I thought you meant like the city government had said, don't talk to Ben. I mean, essentially, yes. Like I'm the only person asking. Sure, sure, sure. (laughs) Yeah, it is illegal to talk to Ben's from here on out. (laughs) Yeah, so just to know. And Smith, Carol, (laughs) and Kubrick are prohibited. (laughs) Anyone seen or recorded talking to any Ben Smith, Carol, or Kubrick is subject to 10 years in federal prison. Yeah, that's why I'm having you record this for evidence later. Oh, no. Okay. Um, yeah, any, any other news with you, Jim? You did a pretty good job before we start up things. I have no further news to report at this time. Um, what, what's your uh, background with, with Evangelion? Have you oh, watched man. it in the past? Are you kind of re-watching it now? In college. I saw the first maybe two or three episodes, I don't remember, with a group of friends. We watched anime once a week. We got through Revolutionary Girl Utena and loved it. And then after that, it was like, we need another main series to watch and watch two episodes of every week until it's over. And we started Evangelion, so we must have watched four episodes. And then we kind of fell off of it. And I don't remember anything about it, except that they liked to make fun of the Frank Sinatra music at the end. <laughs> I vaguely remember the premise that like this, the buildings go under the ground and they're the giant robots that they climb into that have the cables mm-hmm. uh, and they fight angels. The monsters are called angels and that's, that's all I got. I remember the main character is sad. <laughs> And, and so you're, you're gonna go into this episode kind of cold and watch it in a vacuum and completely just... cold completely blind all right this is I, exciting I purposely <laughs> chose not to watch the first two episodes 
I was like, it might be more entertaining if I have literally no idea what's happening. Sweet. I'm I'm glad you made that decision. I've been hoping someone would make that decision. <laughs> like I don't know anything. I don't know anything. Yeah, though this will be an interesting episode to do that with because oh. there are some uh, group dynamics going on. Go ahead. One more thing I remember about Evangelion is that the theme song is a banger. Yeah, it's it, pretty awesome. It was all over the internet when I was a kid, and I had no idea what it was for a long time. So I know and love the theme song, even though I never really saw the anime. And, and like, like just was it just like the opening sequence um, on the internet, or was it like people using the theme song and putting it to other stuff? People using the theme song for other purposes, usually in bad MIDI format. Lots of GeoCities web pages. <laughs> oh my gosh, GeoCities! We're talking like 1999 era internet. Yeah. Sorry, I was just thinking. Yeah, I was just queuing up episode three. Sorry. Wait, no, not episode three. Episode eleven. <gasps> wow dude yeah you're you're really going into cold to the middle of this thing man that's gonna happen <laughs> why did i think it was episode three i have no idea oh my god best thing all week right, seven eight oscar arrives in japan mind matching moment all i'm getting is episode titles the magma uh, oh, in the still darkness is the episode title in the still oh that looks messed up this thing with like oh uh, yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Boy. oh boy, oh boy. Last time on Teenager vs. Volcano, Ryoji Kaji took Asuka shopping and continued to emotionally manipulate her. The pilots were barred from attending their school trip to the presumably sunken island of Okinawa. Rei and Asuka did some swimming in the Nerve Olympic-sized pool while Shinji did his homework near them completely clothed, which is a totally normal and not creepy thing to do. A research station found another angel developing inside a volcano, so Misato complied with Asuka's wishes to finally go on the offensive. Donning a sumo suit and piling the O2 outfitted with a similarly corpulent diving suit, Asuka descended into the volcano to vanquish the wacky-armed Sandalfon. Relaxing after the victory, Shinji received a postal package containing the prodigal penguin Penpen, while Misato bonded with Asuka in a less-than-wholesome fashion. Will the pilots become a team? Will they ever get a normal day for some normal teenagers? Let's find out. All right. Tokyo 3 loses power just as another angel is detected. The EVA pilots must enter the base from the surface while Nerve preps the units manually. In the... yeah. That is like super loud. It's playing <laughs> through both my computer speakers and the headphones. Oh, wow. Oh, weird. Huh. That's why I was like, what? Yeah. Huh. While we're figuring this out in the interest of uh, foreshadowing, there's going to be a new segment today, Alex. What? So get ready. Yeah. <gasps> I'm oh. so excited. A mystery. I No mystery for the cr- podcast creators. No mystery for the podcast listeners. And then... Alex sings this song every time <laughs> because I always More bully honey. him into doing it. Become <laughs> legend, young boy. <laughs> I'm going to try to do it with the English lyrics this time. When a, a blue wind blows. Oh, right. nice. I thought that was the funniest episode so far. It, I had laughs, a plenty. Yeah. My f- favorite 
was at the beginning when it's exposition time and the power outage hasn't come yet and they're on the train just having a day and the deputy commander casually drops that their democracy is simulated and they're like, lol, we're the best. <laughs> Science rules. Yeah, democracy yeah. with all the people taken out. That's how it works, right? Yeah, yeah well, the, they, have, they have three computers, you know? Right. The three magi. Mm-hmm. Mm. And you have to send all the power to the magi instead of life support. Right, yeah, that, that struck me too. I was like, oh, cool, this guy, I, I can't remember his name. I keep calling him Tarkin because I think he looks like uh, Grandma Tarkin. Tarkin. Exactly. Um, Deputy Commander Ikari, if I recall. Oh, no, Ikari is the... Um, Commander Commander. Gendo, yeah. Okay. So I don't know who the deputy gloves, or what his name is. Gloves Man. It's Gendo. Yes, Gloves okay. Man. <laughs> Which is, if you didn't put together that Shinji, the the boy That's pilot's dad. dad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had forgotten that, but I remembered that when he looked at him and said, Father. <laughs> 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 that helped. Um, so, so I just looked it up. So that dude is Kozo... Fuyutsuki. Kozo. Kozo, okay. I'll make a note. I'll start calling him Kozo. I want to no, call him dude, we, don't. we can call him Target. No, that's okay. just as a point of record. Get into Akari's right-hand man. Evidently, he was a professor of metaphysical biology at Kyoto University. Wait, what? Metaphysical biology. Wait, is this a real person? <laughs> No, like, that's his background as a character. Oh, wow, that's neat. Metaphysical biology. What the hell does that mean? It means angel bodies, right? <laughs> sure. I'm just I guess. guessing. I, I was curious, too, you know, because you had said the thing about, like, angels. And I think we talked on an early episode of this of, like, how it, that's kind of like the English translation, but the word that you often hear is angel in Japanese... Um, tenchi like so it's like a different word than they normally use for angel in Japanese and so the literal translation is something like God's messenger or something Mm -hmm. like that and so I did a Google image search which is kind of like a fun way sometimes to try to figure out like the meaning of a word that the definition is vague and you see a lot of pictures of like albino animals (laughs) Uh, so something from like kind of like Shintoism and I guess maybe albino animals are said to be like the messengers of God as well. So like albino deer, albino roosters, peacocks. Anyway, just a little aside. No, that's amazing. It makes sense because you would, I mean, oftentimes animals are the uh, envoy of spiritual or magical powers right in all sorts of classical mythologies and it makes a lot of sense that an albino one would be considered special more ethereal closer to the source um especially when cultures didn't understand genetics i also noticed that they had a lot of gags like it wasn't simply that it was circumstantially funny that there were like slam cuts to dramatic things that made me snicker but they also had gags written into the episode, like, oh, so indecent. And you stupid idiot, slam, slam, slam. <laughs> like, is is this show actually full of gags in every episode? Like, is it written to have funny moments? I would say every episode definitely has, like, funny moments. And some of them are, like, 
you know, like these kind of like anime genre recurring gags. So Mm -hmm. the like male and female, like lying on top of each other and then like seen by other people. Like this is like time, like four or five in this show already. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. I want to give you guys a test. So out of the shows, Pokemon, Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, and Neon Genesis Evangelion. I guess, like, can you put them in order of when they came out? Oh, God. I, ho- I was hoping you would say which one was first. <laughs> like, in order? Oh, I don't even know. I'm, like, 50% confident Dragon Ball Z is first. But the other 50% is Sailor Moon. Yeah, I'm going to say Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon Neon Genesis. All right. So Alex is locked in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's funny because I agree with Alex. Uh, Sailor Moon and it's is and Dragon Ball Z must be first. And this is Dragon Ball Z, not Dragon Ball, right? Yeah, Dragon Ball Z, I'm saying. So I'm gonna I'm gonna agree that it goes Sailor Moon and then Dragon Ball Z. I think Pokemon comes after Evangelion. I think it goes N G E followed by Pokemon. So so Jim, you're you're almost right. Yeah, so it's Dragon Ball Z. Then Sailor Moon. So Dragon Ball Z is 1989. Ah, yeah. Um, Sailor Moon. I just thought Sailor Moon was before that. Yeah, no. Sailor Moon's Damn. 1992. The Neon Genesis is 1995, and Pokemon is 1997. So yeah, so Dragon Ball Z was almost done um, when Evangelion started. But yeah, I don't know. There was something about um, yeah, like the gag when. Um, Misato is trying to close the elevator door and she like didn't do it right in time and she just gives this like face of like yeah exa- yeah yeah that, that, like sideways mouth face that like yeah. really reminded me of something from like Dragon Ball Z or that, that's Moon a Bulma face isn't like it <laughs> doesn't yeah. Bulma make that face like every episode she's in is it one? just me or did Misato look more like Bulma in this episode <laughs> than she does in other episodes I have no frame of reference to answer that question. <laughs> right, 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 right. Of course, I, I don't know, but but there, like that one scene there, like that did kind of make me like it felt like it was like kind of like a beat of one of those other shows. I don't know. It seems very. I really like this episode too. Like it, it seems kind of unique to me, but it is like a goldfish episode, like a sitcom where everyone's stuck in a certain place, and that's kind of the whole point of the the episode, the whole Mm -hmm. plot of the episode revolves around everyone being stuck and trying to get out or having to relate to each other. I enjoyed that the angel conflict seemed practically incidental to the plot of the episode. (laughs) It was like, there's a power outage caused by mysterious saboteur other humans. How strange and appropriate that it is other agents of man who are taking us down. And by the way, there's an angel coming. Oh, here are the kids right on time. Here's the plan right on time. Blam, blam. Down it goes like a chump. Yay, episode complete. I, I do think, to my eyes, this is like one of the kind of like creepiest, coolest angels we've seen yeah. so far. But then like the combat, like you almost expect like, you know, like that kind of like the shots to like not finish it off. But then it's just like one volley of shots. It's dead. That's it. Very quick. Um, that's funny. When when we were when I saw which angel it was, I was like, "Oh, I remember this. This is going to be a really cool fight, and it's a cool sequence." But it isn't even exactly a fight. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe maybe my memory thought 
I agreed with you that this uh, uh, this angel is really cool looking, and so I thought there would be more to it. But when I think about its actual design and the form of attack they gave it, mm. if they tried to do a full-fledged fight with it, I don't think it would work very well with the animation and the planning. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they really played to their suits. They probably had this design, and they have to decide at some point how they're going to implement that design. And they're like, well... It would be really scary if it was on top of you and just got to drop its acid. And so they made that work. Put them in an elevator shaft. I liked the bit where they have to manually force themselves out of their restraints. Awesome. That was super cool. Sorry, can you be more specific? I'm trying to remember. They're launching the Avas and they have no power. And Commander Glovesman gives them the order to manually force themselves out of their restraints. And you get those shots of the angels, not the angels, you get those shots of the Avas pushing the cage out. <laughs> yeah. And it's badass. Because <laughs> I, I like when there's a twist on the transformation or special animation that's in every episode. Like Sailor Moon does her transformation every episode. Mm-hmm. Goku goes Super Saiyan in the second half of the oh, show. Oh, the Avas launch almost every episode. Yeah. And the Avas launch, yeah. And it's the same sequence of events. It's like, do the things, go up the shaft, go. And like, it's not necessarily mm. the same like magic girl animation, but I always enjoy when there's a twist on the recurring animations in a show like that. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. And and we we've talked a lot about this of like kind of like, conventions that are as much like for this story as just for kind of like cutting animation costs and stuff and like you know like especially old school shows like thundercats does that you know where every episode he like holds up his sword and then you see the same animation and it's like okay well that's like a minute that we animated once and like (laughs) you know like a minute that we can use in every episode now and I guess, yeah, the, the Ava launches kind of like serve a, a similar thing to that. Yeah. You can, they probably, I, I haven't seen, I'm speculating. They probably reuse shots all the time from the Avas. I also, I noticed in the beginning of the episode, there were lots of still shots with nothing happening. Mm-hmm. The phone, it's like 49, 48, and like slowly counting down. Uh, the elevator buttons, like, just staring at the elevator buttons for three seconds. (laughs) There was a lot of that. And I thought it was just for pacing. And it may have been a pacing choice, but it's also like, yeah, it's cheap as all get out. Like, oh, here's five free seconds of animation. Let's go. And I think sometimes, I I think one of the things that this does well is just like choosing very interesting things for those shots. So like on Mm. Shinji's like phone call with his dad, we have this kind of, loop that's probably not that many frames of him like kind of like nervously clutching his fingers and that's just such a like emotive shot you know you're just like oh man this kid's so nervous that poor kid Mm -hmm. oh god i don't know yeah it's, it's something that you might see in like you know kind of feels like cinematic or something right that like the director would choose that detail to like hone in on but it mm-hmm. you're not used to shots like that um from animation so often i like the hand twitch was it the same exact hand twitch every time i think so i think it's just a, a loop but you know maybe maybe they did something to make it a little bit 
more dynamic. Uh, I just wanted to make one comment about, I'm so glad that you've noticed that we're talking about the, the pacing and the still choices, because that over and over is a kind of grand unifying theory of the show. It, and maybe because they didn't have much money because of the economic crash, like all of their choices, all their strong choices are consolidation of resources, consolidation of time, consolidation of storytelling, playing on anime tropes. Like it is really trying to make everything cohesive, trying to make, make the most out of every choice, which is, I must have been very, very hard for them when they were making it and very, very stressful, but it really shines through. So the, the fist clenching shot, it appears to me that it's the same animation for him clenching his fist, but it's done at different speeds mm. and with an irregular rhythm. So it doesn't look like a loop, but it's the same frames, the same drawn ah. frames. <laughs> and they, they add in a bit where he actually relaxes and extends his fingers once. Like kind of in the middle to just like make it less like a loop, basically. Yeah. So it's probably like 10 different frames estimating for yeah. that entire like 10 second shot that's so awesome one per second that's pretty good <laughs> so so we start off seeing kind of the uh the people doing their their laundry um and this is kind of like a theme that we see a lot in this show is kind of like i don't know this like very banal like everyday life city living kind of like even though like the stakes are kind of whether or not humanity will survive everyone still has to just kind of like do this every day stuff to get by you're living through the apocalypse the government has the budget to maintain three giant killer robots to fight off the enemies that fall out of the sky or crawl out of the ocean to murder you and you have to pay for laundry. <laughs> yep. It's bizarre that they do their laundry together. I mean, I guess you'd get close to your coworkers if you don't have time for other friends. And then they run into Deputy Director Kozo uh, on the subway, and he just takes the subway like everybody else. That's pretty awesome. And he, it looked like he tried to hide behind his newspaper. <laughs> He's like, ah, not these guys. <laughs> I can't be fraternizing with the lower ranks. Uh, so he probably, if if it was just Ritsuko, he might talk to her, but because the two technicians are there, nah. Like, man, I'm so excited to vote. No, your vote's fake, sorry. Um, so, so they have that conversation about Magi, the kind of like AI that effectively runs the government. Um, did you guys ever read Player Piano, that like Kurt Vonnegut novel? Not me. It's like a kind of similar concept in it where there are these like big AIs that just like basically dictate everything and everyone kind of follows them on faith because they're like smarter than all the people. And basically the only thing that like humanity does anymore is like make better computers to make the better AIs. So the AI doesn't improve itself to get smarter, but it somehow employs humanity to do that? I think I think that's like my memory of it, yeah. And then there's like a couple, like so basically it's like every, all the kind of manual labor stuff is automated and then a lot of the like 
white collar labor stuff the AI does, and then kind of like the ruling class or just like the engineers who are like trying to make the next even better AI. Oh, okay. So you still have a class based society, but scientific engineers are the ruling class instead yeah. of the landowners like it is now. And, and I think it's like this weird dystopia where like everyone has like a pretty good quality of life but like everyone is just like freaking out all the time because like their <gasps> lives are like meaningless and like they're like unemployed or something. Yeah, because they don't get to be, your needs are met, but you don't get, to, well, I'm sorry, your material needs are met, but none of your experiential needs are met, right? Like you don't get to be a human, real human. You don't get to struggle. You don't get to make meaningful connections that are unique to you. You don't get to starve to death in the winter when your pies go bad. That is part of the human experience too, okay? We can't just do away with it. Then we see Riska watching or running tests on unit zero zero. She's like messing with the power. They're turning it off and on. Lower the interconversion <laughs> value by 0 0.01 and try it again with the same settings. Are, are you jumping around in the episode or did you like take a note of that or? I'm I'm following through and reading subtitles. <laughs> this is probably just a little Easter egg. Hmm. Um, but I'm looking at the shot where, where the subtitle says conversion efficiency, and there's a little red file folder, and mm -hmm. all of the files have... Um, what's the name of the thing, DNA, where it starts with a G or a T or a C or an A? Uh, like the nucleic bases? Or... Yeah. I forget the science word for what those are but they're all labeled with three of those. It's all the letters G, C, A, and T. Hmm. I think, I think there, there are a lot of kind of like little oblique references to DNA and, and biology in this. So like mm -hmm. uh, when Asuka first meets Ray, she's, she's like reading this book and like the diagrams in that book are stuff that have to do with DNA and molecular biology. And, She's studying um, quantum biology and the relationship <laughs> between the helix and space. <laughs> pseudoscience, pseudoscience. What? What? <laughs> Sorry, I was I blacked out for a second there. So, so we have kind of three main sets of, of characters in this episode. So we have like kind of the people in the nerve headquarters. Well, I guess some of them were initially doing laundry, but then they kind of like meet back up. We've got our Ava pilots. And then we've got Misato and, and Kaji. Um, so we cut to Misato uh, trying to close the elevator door on Kaji. She doesn't want to see him. He, uh, he doesn't give a fuck and <laughs> worms his way in there. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. And then um, we see Shinji calling Gendo on the payphone, that shot that we were talking about with the, uh, the hand clenching. And, you know, he's just kind of doing what his teachers told him to do. But Gendo is uh, pissed off and hangs up on him and says that this is Misato's job. Yeah, he says, don't waste my time with trivial affairs. You know, like his son's education or future. Uh, so the power goes out at Nerve. We learn what um, Koza's priorities are, which is uh, keeping the, the Magi up and running. And, and this is another place we see a little DNA reference. So he talks about keeping the power going to the central dogma. Yeah, what is that? So looking that up, so I guess the central dogma is the code name for like their like inner sanctum place, like their offices and stuff. 
So that's like the central dogma of nerve. But in biology, the central dogma is this idea that DNA is turned into RNA and then RNA is turned into proteins. So it's kind of just like the idea that like DNA is the master plan that then turns into the other things that, you know, your cells eventually use to, to function. Oh, so just as like human organizations disseminate decisions and information from the top down, so too does kind of biology. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what the kind of the metaphor is in this. So maybe it's kind of like the magi or something or kind of like the DNA. They tell, you know, the people in the government what to do. And then those people tell everyone else what to do or something like that. Uh, and we we got a shot of um, a little scene of the third technician who's who wasn't with them doing laundry. He ends up picking up Misato's laundry, and then he ends up being the first one to bop the angel. Or I'm sorry, the JSDF or whatever. Uh, they spot the angel, but he sees it, and then he thinks, "Oh my gosh! If all their power is out, then they're going to need this information." I think he requisitions a uh, a campaign van with a speaker on top, which I think was kind of a statement on, because we just learned that their democracy isn't real, at least citywide. But we learned that even if the democracy isn't real, the organization or the communication uh, abilities of those political systems are still very useful because mm. he literally just countermands the truck and drives it into nerve HQ to warn them about the angel. Just blow through the blocked door. Drive on in. I, I guess, yeah, sure. We don't, we don't really see cars on the street very often. And it's kind of like the one car driving around. Yeah, animating cars are expensive. <laughs> oh, yeah. They can be on the side of the road. They cannot be moving. <laughs> what do you think this is? Initial D? Well, so we, we have our angel attack, right? And it's first spotted in Tokyo 2 by the, the military. Well, I think we all just agreed. This is one of the coolest angel designs, at least yet. Uh, it's very inhuman. It's called Matarael, which means the premonition of God or the angel of rain. And it is, the design is based off of an opilinoid, which is uh, an arachnid. Uh, like creature, or it's in that family, I think, of arachnids. It has four legs. It has four legs? Oh, it should have eight. But anyways, it's just based off that design. Uh, those things are called, uh, commonly around here, they're called daddy long legs, or that's one of the uh, species of opilinoids. They have common ancestors in spiders and scorpions and even mites. Uh, the top of the main body is designed like a turtle shell. And then the bottom of the main body, which we get to see quite clearly, has uh, a plethora of eyes on it. Specifically, it has eight ornamental eyes that are, I don't know, formed, drawn, whatever, on the outskirts of the central eye. And the central eye seems to be the only one that's actually a sensory device uh, and the only one that moves or, and it's what the acid gets dripped out of too. But the ones around the side are specifically uh, designed to look like the Eye of Providence or the Divine mm -hmm. Eye, which is used on you know, US currency. It's a symbol of Freemasons. Uh, and that design, with or without the ceremonial Eye of Horus as the, the central part, has been used in Buddhism, Hindu, uh, uh, Christianity. Like, it is all over the place. 
Uh, it's one of the most common esoteric symbols. Uh, and I think that's because it, why it's so popular and so prevalent is because it utilizes, um, what do you call it, sacred geometry. It has the dot in the middle, which is the, uh, the iris of the eye. Then it utilizes a circle around that and then a triangle as the, uh, uh, the border. And usually it's depicted with sun rays or clouds around it, but this uh, instead utilizes um, oh, lines coming from the eye to the outskirts. Mm -hmm. The They're arrayed in an eight-point pattern around the central eye, which is really similar to uh, the Eye of Chaos, which is another pretty popular occult symbol, which was really popularized through Warhammer 40K. Uh -huh. And yeah, like, the thing is super cool looking and super creepy and very inhuman. Yeah. It, it reminded me of this one demon from... Did, did you guys watch Devilman Crybaby? No, I have not yet. Super weird show. It's kind of like pervy. It's very weird, uh, but it's by the same guy who did Ping Pong, which is like a great slice of life anime. And it's, so I think a little bit similar to Evangelion in that it's kind of like a mashup of a like slice of life with then like crazy monster battles and monsters and stuff and, and pulls a lot from mythology. But that also has kind of like a many-eyed demon, which evidently is termed the unnamed ass demon. Hmm. Unnamed ass demon number two. <laughs> Much better name than Matarael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we so we see this angel attack. The pilots also find out about this. Asuka wants to take charge and be the leader um, when clearly Ray is the one who has shit figured out and knows what to do. Shinji and Rei kind of go along with it nonetheless. Yeah, whereas we find out that the democracy of the city is fake, we also get a lesson in pretty good implementation of democracy. We see that it fails when the person who has, quote, leadership skills, uh, but doesn't understand the situation is leading. And we see that it succeeds when the person who actually has the information, Rei, is calling the shots or leading them. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny that we have like the three magi or whatever. And then in this episode, we have like those three kids trying to figure out what the best thing to do is. And just like you were saying, the person who wants to be the leader isn't the person that actually knows what's up. Yes. Beware of anyone who wants to run for president. The military guys also come in three. Hmm? The military generals who we see every once in a while. They have the big radar screen up and they're watching the angel approach Tokyo 3. Oh, yeah. They have the ashtray in front of them and all their shots. Hmm. I love uh, that they smoke. <laughs> they seem to smoke a lot, but they're not depicted <laughs> smoking ever. They have tons of cigarettes on their ashtray, but they never actually have a cigarette. Um, there's three of them. J-A-S-D-F. Always three. I guess that's the minimum number of people to form a democracy, right? Because otherwise, you'll just have standstills all the time. Oh, here's the funny... This isn't immediately relevant to anything we just talked about, but there's a shot. The three military guys are discussing the angel, and it cuts away to a shot of the angel walking through a forest. And on one side of the frame, you have their ashtray full of cigarettes. And when it cuts to the angel, on the other side of the frame, there's a sign that says prevent forest fires, and it says no cigarettes. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know if that's part of larger symbolism about the military and the show and like anti-environmental impact or anything. But. Well, I think there's a, a, a subtle global warming message in this episode. 
pretty soon we see that it's very hot in the central dogma. And I think Ritsuko and the female technician are remarking on it. And one of them looks to Gendo and Kozo and they're like, well, everyone seems to be overheating except them, right? Mm -hmm. And they would represent the ruling class, right? The, the, the 1%. And they seem to be comfortable, but only because they have a means of keeping themselves cool that everyone is not seeing. They're standing in buckets of water. Mm. So while everyone else fries, they have special means of keeping cool. That's tight. The pilots are trying to get into the the base. They're crawling through ducts. Um, you read a note here. Shinji brings up a good point. Oh, is that like when Asuka is saying, oh, this will be, we're almost at the geo front or whatever. And Shinji's like, you've said that like three or four times. Shinji asks why they're fighting the angels. Mm. He's he just wonders. He's like, I mean, they're supposed to. We call them angels. That means like messenger of heaven or messenger of God. So like, why do we have to fight them? Why do they want to kill us? Which is a great question to ask, especially looking back. Like the first angel that we come across, Sakael, we see that it is non-aggressive. It's just searching for something until the the UN or JASDF forces engage it with uh, military hardware. And so it is a good question to ask. Obviously, this is what happens because it's the series, right? And some people tuning in are expecting to see monster fights. But is fighting the angels the best course of action? Is there something else we could be trying to do? Whereas, and Shinji, this si- the system where his place in the world is very unsure. It's not really working out for him at least the way he would want his life to go. Whereas Asuka, as, I don't know, as damaged of a person as she is, it's working out the way she wants it to, at least the way she thinks she wants it to. She's super smart. She's hyper competent. She has a job protecting the world from destruction. Like from her perspective, it's working out great. And so she doesn't want to ask that question. She thinks Shinji is stupid for thinking about that. I forget if it's in this exchange or if this is something from last episode, but I think there was like discussion of like, why are we fighting? And then it's like, like we're fighting because like, we're fighting back, you know, they're attacking us. So we're just fighting back. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, that's their perspective. But uh, I think there have been some hints that, you know, the the humans might have actually fired the first shot and that the angels are fighting kind of for the, the same justification that the humans are using. Right, we still don't quite know what second impact was. Uh, we know now that, the the story that the public knows is a lie, but we still don't know the technical events that happened there. I think they just said they were studying something in Antarctica and it mysteriously exploded. (laughs) A likely story. Is this canon with the thing? Oh man, that would be awesome. And we got to start looking into John Carpenter's work and see if it uh, influences this. So Gendo gives the order to manually activate the Avas, which we don't get to go into a whole lot of detail about how that's possible, but it looks like they have winches and and ropes and pulley systems in place just in case this happens. So it's like a fourth backup system 
in case all power fails. It's pretty mm. remarkable. Uh, and he says they have diesel generators to, we assume that the, the Avers aren't charged at all times. And so they can charge the Avers with these diesel generators, I guess. They charge the emergency batteries. Yeah. Oh, and that's a new piece of special equipment that we haven't seen before is uh, an extra battery pack on that is fitted to their shoulder units. There's this kind of moment where, um, you know, Shinji is told that this was like his dad's idea and that his like dad's like manually doing this stuff. Um, and he's, he's surprised by this. And it's kind of parallels the scene where his dad, he finds out that his dad burnt his hands kind of opening the escape hatch, the burning escape hatch to let Ray out. I don't know if that's like significant, but I guess, you know, it's this thing of like his dad seems so harsh and cold, but then from other people, he learns that that his dad is, is actually doing these like noble things. Right, which I guess should be positive, but it is just hard for Shinji because it continually complicates this relationship he gets these moments where he's like okay my dad doesn't fucking care about me so i should probably stop putting energy into this relationship and then he sees his dad you know at the front of the group muscling this thing into into place and like trying to save the world and like well i kind of can't be mad at that Dad strength some sort of communication block between the two of them they just mm. need some therapy, man. <laughs> Family therapy. Shinji is trying, and his dad just like... Don't waste my time. Yeah, bad prioritization. Or maybe good prioritization. I guess he's trying to save the world. We'll find out. About saving the world, you jogged my memory. This angel is seen walking through town without attacking anything. Right. It goes directly to the Ava ejection tunnel and starts dropping acid on it. That's awesome. So they are, we've gotten like hints at this before that the angels are not there to fight the Avas and the angels are not there to cause random havoc throughout the city. They are drawn to something specific, right? Some other MacGuffin, I assume. I wanted to ask your expertise as a fairly accomplished acrobat. Oh, stop. What did you think of Ray's dismount? Is that a proper dismount where you put your arms out as a T? Uh, no, that is that would not be sticking the landing. Oh, it's not. Your arms, your arms have to be fully in the sagittal plane. She she lo- she loses points. The sagittal plane. Yeah, the plane that is defined by the points in your your nose and the back of your head and your belly button, like bisects your body. Imagine there's a plane. So what you're telling me is that acrobatics and chakras are the same thing and that you have a chakra in your nose. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> I might be so accidentally close. telling you that. So when she lands with her arms out, that's some, that's some baller mm. stuff. Big points for combining grace and physical comedy. But if she was competing, she would lose points. <sighs> yeah, no, no, not good points. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you had to put your arms out to the sides to keep your balance, it's not as good as keeping your arms in the sides of the plane, in front oh, of you okay. or by your sides or above your head. Or something. And in circus land, which is where I do my work, it's all gravy, baby. She's good. She killed it. Okay, I love it. Oh, yeah, because in circus, you can be a little more flourishy. It's not about the precision. It's about the performance, right? Yeah, it's what, whatever you want to do. Have fun. Yeah, they fall out of the vent, and then Ray's like, hey. <laughs> We are here. 
because they're arguing. She kicks him in the face a couple times because she's rude. Yeah, I, I like how Ray's like, yeah, I planned for them to fight and like drop out right here. I, I led them right above the base and then they fought and then I just came out because that was the plan all along. Oh man, talk about cheap animation. Hold on. So they fall out of the vent. Their moment of landing is cut. They cut away from the landing. There's a still shot of the technicians and they like rumble it up and down for impact and then we see asuka and shinji all like groaning like oh we fell on the floor and then ray descends her feet touch asuka but there's no response from asuka or shinji (laughs) they don't move at all her feet just come down like and then we get this immediate glide up and they go out of the frame so they don't have to animate the response of Shinji and Asuka from getting landed on and Ray's all like so pretty brilliant so I'm, I'm looking at her form it's good feet together it's nice I love it she is about precision although as the synchronization rates say Shinji is better at being precise that's why the leader picked him for offense oh for shooting yeah because he's a boy and guns are like penises <laughs> yeah is there a lot of that in this show yeah yeah man he's inexplicably the best pilot asuka is driven and ray like follows orders so she's very into practicing and she doesn't have a lot of distractions but shinji's the best kind of just because he's the best because he's, he's the special boy yeah because he's yeah. goku because he's the protagonist because yeah. he's a hero it's fine i like shinji i used to really dislike him <laughs> He might be more like Gohan. Oh, that's true. He is a lot more like Gohan. He's kind of like the more like timid, reluctant here. Yeah. Timid, reluctant, inexplicably the best. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Off topic. Off topic question. How do you pronounce the name of this show that we're watching? Oh, um, go ahead, Ben. Yeah, I, I feel like I probably switched between Evangelion and Evangelion. I'd say I'm about 50-50. Is it a deliberate portmanteau of Eva and Angel? Oh, I didn't think about that. That's smart. Because it's like the the Ian, like the alien part, makes me think of like Orama. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the Smash Orama, the truck smashing show. It's the <laughs> it's the Angel Rama. Oh. It's the alien. It's the it's the thing that's happening. Angelian. Okay. So it's like. It sounds to me like a portmanteau of Ava and Angel and like the thing that's happening. It is Evan, pretty clever. Evangelion. The the director, the creator, Anno, uh, he does like his wordplay. Um, and mm-hmm. he, I think he's pretty good with English. So he specifically chooses Japanese words that will translate into uh, a few different English translations that all make sense. Uh, like he directed the latest Japanese Godzilla film, Shin Gojira, and the Shin in that, which is also what they use for Shin is uh, what gets translated into neon in this, I think. Uh, Shin means like new or neo, but it also can mean, I think, holy or anyways. And like all of those translations make sense on some level uh, Mm -hmm. with the film. So mm-hmm. he's very attentive to that. Holy I, Genesis Evangelion. 
I think that's a cool point about the portmanteau and the fact that, yeah, there's both like Ava and Angel in the word. Um, They're secretly the same thing. Yeah. I think too, it's just like, kind of like, like one thing we talked about before. So the B, B sound um, or the V sound rather is something that like, isn't part of standard Japanese. Um, and I feel like there are a decent number of anime that like have like kind of characters in their title that aren't kind of like don't have a standard pronunciation, but a lot of like kind of like R's and L's and so like, you know, there aren't L's either, but you'll see like L's in, in titles and stuff like that. Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Anyway, so so I feel like it could. It's also maybe like kind of like cool seeming sci-fi mumbo jumbo, like this is like this like very foreign sounding word you're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does like to make a little mystery. Maybe he believes in magic and esotericism and stuff like that. Anyway, okay, so they get to the central dogma, the three pilots, and they are already through most of the manual launch procedures and so uh that's what they do they launch we get that awesome shot you talked about earlier where the the avas muscle their way out of the restraints which is very cool they obviously can't do the normal launch sequence because their their launch platforms are not working because they don't have any electricity uh and so they have to crawl their way back out through some sort of giant duct in like a reverse of how they got into the uh, complex in the first place. And so they make their way to this shaft to get out. And it turns out that the angel is already on top of that shaft uh, and is ready to drop acid on them. What do you think of the acid? I love the orange acid. I love that it cries acid out of its working eye. That's like a strong image of like uh, tears of blood or tears, tears of something other than regular salt water is always a very interesting uh, uh, image. The shot of the angel crouched over the thing is really creepy. You see it's got the four legs going out and it's got eight eyes, decorative eyes just poking. And the big eye right in the middle, which is oddly different from the other ones Mm -hmm. because the other ones are decorative and that's the one actual eye. You get just enough time to be like, that's so weird looking. And then it's it's so cool. It's so cool. I guess despite her earlier leadership failures, Asuka comes up with a a pretty good plan. One where uh, kind of rather than taking the leading role, maybe she doesn't take the leading role, but in some ways takes the most heroic role, which is kind of sacrificing herself and and taking the pain of, of this acid to give time for kind of Shinji to set up and take a shot at this thing. Yeah, and it is a good plan. You're right, it's pretty cool. Uh, We also see that Ray in Unit 00, it has like boosters in its Mm -hmm. uh, shoulders, which I don't know if we've seen that before and I doubt we'll ever see it again. It has jump jets to stop from sliding down so hard. Super awesome. I think this is also the first time that 00 gets launched with its new blue armor as opposed to the old orange armor. Another interesting thing about the angel being not destructive, you get this long sequence of it just taking bullets to the eye 
you get a couple of seconds where it doesn't respond at all. And then it just kind of goes, just falls down. <laughs> and even in dying, it doesn't like its legs are like over buildings and stuff. And even as it falls down, it doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't touch any buildings. I, I'm, I was thinking back to that thing you said about the armor being a different color. And maybe that's the jump jets too. Maybe that's like the new tech that they installed on this thing. Oh, that makes sense. Cause they would have refitted a lot of stuff after it. Uh, most of its external armor got melted by the particle beam of Ramael. What did I miss? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's a cool show. And that's actually one of the one of the best episodes so far. And one of the episodes where Ray really gets to shine. You see her how cool she is. Oh, and the angel goes down fairly quickly, right, with one burst of the rifle. But I'm happy that the rifle actually does something. In every other episode where they use it, it does nothing. It's the same as like the rapid fire key blasts in uh Dragon Ball Z where you do those and a bunch of dust comes up and then obviously it's done nothing to the enemy, even though it's like the coolest looking attack in the whole show. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if the eye is just vulnerable or because it's like doing this acid attack that makes it vulnerable or what. Or they if do one just point. doesn't have an AT field. Oh, they do say that um, uh, Asuka being up close is what neutralizes the AT field. Huh. Mm. Which they kind of, that's a little irregular too, but it seems that when an Ava gets close to an angel, it uh, neutralizes their AT field. So then they defeat the angel, the the power, I guess, quickly gets restored somehow. And, uh, you know, the, the elevator starts up again while Misato is trying to escape out through a hatch, falls on top of Ryoji, door opens to Ritsuko and others. Um, so disgraceful what are what have they been doing in this elevator which you know i unfair to masato she has been trying not to uh, entertain ryoji's advances slam cut to later that night i had no idea the stars were this pretty without electricity so awesome like these are i know it's this it's just a still shot of looking over the city at night which i think is beautiful but just these little moments like we talked about earlier this marries the slice of life with the action quite proficiently in that just this little scene of them getting to be teenagers sitting on a hillside talking about life, talking about philosophy, things that they don't understand. Uh, it makes that danger meaningful. I couldn't find if it was from something, but Ray says, man fears the darkness. And so he scrapes away at the edges of it with fire. Yeah. Genji wonders. If that's what makes humanity special. Oh, if what makes humanity special? Fire. Fire. <laughs> Using fire <laughs> to carve out light from the darkness. Maybe that's why the angels are attacking us. Because we rage at our constraints. Oh, I think this is the first next time on that they don't say come back next time for lots more fan service. So that's cool. Maybe we're moving away from that. Maybe there will be less fan service. There wasn't much in this episode. This is a not much fan service episode. Yeah, you should have seen the last one, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there are 14. So oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. The lab techs are adults, I hope. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, but speaking, speaking of fan service, that brings us to our new segment,
the PP Pod five star fan service section. Ooh. Uh, which is uh, we have some reviews on on iTunes now. One came in. Is the title is Pen Pen Squad? Randomly found this podcast searching for Joe Rogan one day. <laughs> well, he says Joe Rohan, so it worked. But, but Joe <laughs> Rohan is alternate universe Joe Rogan in Middle Earth. It says delightful surprise, a hidden treasure. Um, and I kind of wondered. I was like, I think this is Donnie, because like you know, Donnie had been listening to stuff and, you know, I was like, I don't know. I, I don't buy that someone randomly found this. I'm pretty sure this is just Donnie being a goof. We see you, Donnie. We got another review. You don't remember me, but I remember you, Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you listen to that. So we have another new review, a good blend of analysis and fun. I heard a lot of anime podcasts and watched a lot of anime YouTube channels. Most of them have very little insight and very heavy trash talk. Alex and Ben highlight the artistry and meaning of each episode of NGE. There are other analysis shows I respect, but they tend to be pretty dry. A and B have in-depth discussions, but also have fun along the way. That was a very sweet review. Pretty high praise. Well done, Phyllis. Yeah, so, so we're a little behind on recording these, about a month behind. Um, but if you leave us a five-star review, you'll, uh, you'll hear it on here. So, okay, cool. But no four-star reviews. We will not cover those. No, this is the five-star fan service segment. It keys into our uh, wanting us to, people to send us anything. Oh, we did get spam last time. That was cool. Uh, <laughs> we're looking for... Uh, why don't we run through that now? So how do uh, people contact us, Ben? Uh, it is at penpenpalspod at gmail.com or penpenpalspod on Twitter. And, uh, but, you know, subscribing to the show and leaving a, a five-star review is a good way to get our attention. Jim, before I forget, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, is there anywhere that people can find your music or maybe view any of your circus performances? One second pause for editing purposes. You can find my tunes at soundcloud.com slash xenotolerance. That's X-E-N-O tolerance. Despite what it sounds like, it's actually a medical term for tolerating implants from another person. I, I wrote it as a username in like 2002, but it turns out it's a medical term. I didn't know that when I picked it. Well, see, you're just like Hideaki Anno. All of your naming conventions, they have multiple meanings that all make sense. Pretty cool. Is there going to be a, a track that we're, uh, we're hearing as part of this episode? Uh, damn it. What was it called? Ambience One, maybe? Ambient One yeah. was produced using a C sound script. That's why there's ambient one and two, because you run the script multiple times and it generates a different thing. Wait, so it's like algorithmically created music? You program the script and then the script ran its own music? Yes. And is that true of all the music that's on your soundcloud? Is it all? No, uh, those are the only two algorithmic pieces of music, pieces of algorithmic music. Everything else is composed. There's one piece of music concrete, which is called Theo, which is in honor of my late cat, 
who, who passed away in December of 2019. It is his loss that cursed the year 2020. Sorry, everybody. R.I.P. Theo. Yeah, poor Theo. But you can hear his purr on my SoundCloud. So if you like cats and you like close-up recordings of cats purring, you check that out. I love it. Did you have any other final thoughts about this episode? Final thoughts about the experience? Final thoughts about the show after essentially viewing it for the first time? The show's pretty cool. The animation is really efficient. By that, I mean it is obviously done on the cheap and they spend their time and energy really well because there are some really, really amazing shots. The moment where Asuka opens the hatch and the angel pops down, (laughs) it's so awesome. And it's one of the only moments in the whole episode where there's more than one thing happening on frame at a time. Like Asuka is moving and closing the hatch and the angel's moving in the background. And it's like, oh, there's movement in opposite directions in multiple planes at the same time. It's really striking and really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious. I wonder if they kind of have had like this standard budget for like animes, but then they just like prioritized it. They're like, we're going to spend like two thirds of our budget on these like fight scenes that like occur for like, you know, only one eighth of like the runtime of this show. Mm-hmm. And then kind of had to, uh, to scrimp and save on everything else. Yeah. Because there are these like fight scenes where they, um, pull out all the stops or whatever. I find myself wondering, given that this is an episode in the middle of the show, how well they pay off on these little hints. Like, the little thing of naming the center, center HQ after part of the human nervous system. Like, the idea of labeling Ava computer parts with human genome sequencing and also binary numbers. Mm. Like, I find myself curious, does that actually come out to anything or is it just an (laughs) Easter egg? And given how little time I have to watch things with explosions and guns in them, uh, because I have my toddler who will pay attention to that with me, it's like, I'm not gonna find out. Aww. Thank you for reintroducing anime to my life. (laughs) Uh, For those who don't know, Alex and Ben have been have been friends in small times, and I've had the honor of, of being in the room with them while they watch really cool stuff and expose me to really amazing things. So like you, wonderful viewer, listener, like you, wonderful listener, who's experiencing vicariously these these two explaining how awesome Evangelion is, that was my childhood. It was Escaflone, it was Dungeons and Dragons, it was Magical Gathering. I owe a lot to these two fellows. So thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. You're the best. I love you both. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, don't sell yourself short. Uh, for everybody out there, Jim is the best DM I've ever worked with in D&D. <laughs> oh, stop. Oh, stop. But yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for being on. This has been a real joy. We'll definitely let you know when uh, this is coming out and let you get a sneak peek at it before it airs, just so you can... Uh, say no to things and, we, and make more work for us. Oh, I only know how to say yes. I don't know how to say no. Oh, wow. That's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this has been great. And yeah, welcome on anytime. Anytime. Um, so I'll be back. If we're doing a second season of this, what, uh, what show do you think would be like interesting to explore and discuss in this way? 
I have exactly one candidate. I've already plugged it. It's Revolutionary Girl Utena. I don't know that one. I've never heard of that. It's not well known. I don't remember exactly why, except that it's more weird than anything should ever be. <laughs> uh, All right, I'm excited. Uh, and it just gets weirder and more sexual. And it starts off really fantastical, and as you go in, it gets too real. I uh, I just went to the Wikipedia page, and evidently Steven Universe does like references to it. What? And, and Steven! Oh no! <laughs> and and Rebecca Sugar called the series an epiphany for me. Yep, uh, it was an epiphany for me too, but yeah. I didn't make Steven Universe. You know, <laughs> uh, when you said weirder than Evangelion, I ruled out Steven Universe, but Steven Universe was going to be my 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 pick. Um, can we do that sign off or did anybody have any other thoughts? Sorry, I don't mean to cut everybody off. No, let's sign off. Thanks for being with us this week. This has been Alex and Ben and Jim and, uh... My name's Jim. Yeah, sorry. This has been Pen. Pen. Pals. Pals. Knocks on the door to your heart, I don't know. You gaze back at me and smile back so, so gently. So eager for something you touch so softly and there aren't enough lyrics to keep going. But we will try with those innocent eyes. Know nothing of the fate that awaits. But one day you will realize that upon your back, something. <laughs> uh, you have wings, you can fly to the far away future. Oh, yeah. The cruel angel's thesis. One day you'll take off through a window. If you are overflowing pathos, leads you to betray your memories. Then embrace the heavens and shine bright. Become legend, young boy. Ah, I could have been better. First attempt.